If you could picture yourself at Silver Dollar City or walking into a blacksmith shop, join with me in thinking about the words of Max Lucado as he thinks about what's, what's going on, not just in a blacksmith shop, but what goes on in our life. He writes, in the shop of a blacksmith, there are three types of tools. There are tools on the junk pile, outdated, broken, dull, rusty. They sit in the cobweb corners, useless to their master, oblivious to their calling. Then there are tools on the anvil, melted down, molten hot, moldable, changeable. They lie on the anvil being shaped by their master, accepting their calling. Then there are tools of usefulness, sharpened, primed, defined, mobile. They lie ready in the blacksmith's tool chest, available to their master, fulfilling their calling. As believers, we find ourselves in one of three places. We find ourselves saying, God, I don't want to get changed anymore. I don't want to uh, be involved anymore. I just want to sit back and let everybody else do everything. Those are tools in the corner. Then there are tools that are on the anvil. They are heated up and molded and shaped. It's a painful process of, of moving and forming and heating and changing. That's where some of you are today. God is working in your life and he's rubbing off the rough edges. That's where many churches are today amid the coronavirus and all of the other circumstances and situations. We, we are in a process of being heated up and saying, look, are, are you going to be moldable to my hand? Are you willing to be changed to be used for the future? Then there are those that are being used. They have been sharpened. They have been formed. And now the blacksmith is using those tools. They are in the hands of a skilled laborer. Where are you today? For those of us who may find ourselves on the anvil, facing the challenges of life, how do we respond when life gets hard? How do we face the challenges and the trials and the transitions and all the difficulties that are going on around us? How are we handling it? I believe Joseph gives us some great lessons to learn along the way. So take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Genesis chapter 39. And we're going to pick up in verse number 21 of Genesis 39. And then we're actually going to step into chapter 40 as well. So keep your Bible or your phone handy. Genesis chapter 39, pick up with me in verse number 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. And he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison, whatever they did there. It was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him 
And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. And with that, let's pray. God, would you uh, speak to us today? And Lord, especially for those who are, are just facing the challenges, moms and dads who are struggling with decisions with their children in school, those who are struggling with finances, those who are facing transition, those who feel like they're on the anvil as something is going on in their bodies, they're facing a physical challenge. God, would you give us wisdom and direction so that when life gets hard, we'll be an overcomer in your name. Amen. As we have looked at Joseph's life, if you could begin the first chapter in the first 17 years of Joseph's life, it might go under the term affection. He was favored and loved by his father, even more than his brothers. He was given a coat of many colors. And for the first 17 years of Joseph's life, he probably lived a pretty easy, favored, doted on life as he walked around with his suit of many colors, which was a testament and a testimony. Dad likes him the best. But at age 17, life dramatically changed as he went to go find his brothers as they were keeping the flocks. And they decided that they were going to rip that coat off of him and decided that they were going to kill him. But then instead of killing him, they sold him as a slave and he ended up down in Egypt. If you would turn to that second chapter, though that first 17 years would say the word affection, that next chapter would be the chapter of rejection. As his brothers have betrayed him and betrayed the family and deceived their father and sent him to Egypt. While in Egypt, he begins to work for a man named Potiphar. And Potiphar trusts everything to Joseph. Everything is placed under Joseph's care. Potiphar doesn't worry about anything except the very piece of bread he's going to put in his mouth. What a life. But then Potiphar's wife accuses Joseph of coming on to her. And with that accusation, which would be that third chapter, Joseph is thrown in prison. And I told you last two weeks that rejection would not be the final word on Joseph's life, and that accusation would not be the final word on Joseph's life. We find Joseph in prison in Egypt. Now, I don't know if you have ever watched that TV show called Locked Up Abroad, but it's on A&E where it shows people who are traveling and they get locked up in these kind of most of the third world countries and they're in prison and they show their life. And let me tell you, I don't think when we look at where Joseph is, it would compare anything to the prisons uh, of the United States today. He is in basically a, a pit of doom and destruction. And yet... He finds there that as he begins to, to, to work, that God begins to bless. And now the, the keeper of the prison, the, uh, the, the, the prison guard just says, Joseph, man, you just take care and you take over and you basically run this place. And we see that God is just continuing to bless Joseph. As we look at life and look at the hardships of life, and even as we were sitting there or standing there singing just a minute ago, 
you know, bless the Lord, oh my soul. I, I don't know about you, but even singing that, I just felt like, man, some of the weight of everything going on around me just was able to be taken and, and put off. And I could just look and fo- focus and think about the Lord. And when life gets hard, Joseph has some great lessons for us to learn along the way. So let's talk about them. First off, when we think about when life gets hard, when life gets hard, first thing that we need to do is hold on to the promises of God. When life gets hard, we've got to hold on to the promises of God. Notice with me in Genesis chapter 39, and notice in verse number 21, but the Lord was with Joseph. Notice in verse number 23, the keeper of the prison didn't care about or look into anything. Why? Because the Lord was with him. Now, if you would think about Joseph at this time in his life, holding on to the promises of God, Joseph would have all of the reasons in the world to be bitter and angry with God. He has been uh, betrayed by his brothers. He has been sold as a slave. As a slave, he has been wrongfully accused, and now he finds himself in prison. And if this isn't the makings of someone who could get bitter or who we would look at their life and say, I understand why he is so bitter, then, then we really are not trying to place ourselves or someone we love in this situation. The challenge sometimes that we have when we read stories in the Bible that we know well is we already know the end of this. But from age 17 to age 30, we find for 13 years, Joseph is either a slave or imprisoned. 13 years. Now, just stop for a minute. We've been in Corona about five months. It seemed like about 13 years, hadn't it? So the last five or six months, when everything in our life has changed, we talk about man feeling discouraged and frustrated and down. Think about 13 years. So what is he doing? Holding on to the promises of God. I think there's two things that stand out here. There's a dream that Joseph has in his mind that is catapulting him forward, and then there is the power of God's presence. As we think about the power of God's presence in his life, that's why Genesis 39, 21 says the Lord was with him. Do you remember back in 39, chapter, or chapter 39, verses around 2, 3? It says about two or three times the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Do you know what the cure to fear is? Psalm 23 tells us, verse number four, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Do you know what the key to discouragement and frustration, being dismayed is? Joshua 1, nine, have I not commanded you to be strong and of good courage? And he says, why? 
Because the Lord your God is going to go with you wherever you go. It is the presence of God. It's the presence of God. Hebrews 13, 5, let your life be without covetousness. Be content where you are. For the Lord himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So that you may say, the Lord's my helper. Whom shall I fear? Or what shall man do to me? The the picture in our life is that we have to recognize the person of God and the presence of God in our life when we face hard times. You don't have to walk through the hard times alone. You don't have to face the trials of life alone. You do not have to withstand temptation alone. And if life feels like it's in a dungeon, look to the presence of God. When life wheels you into the operating room, look to the presence of God. It is the presence of God. Matter of fact, Psalm 1611 tells us that in his presence is fullness of joy. That doesn't mean every moment is going to be yippee, ha ha, this is awesome and wonderful. But it does mean that deep within our heart, there is this abiding confidence that God is with me. There's the power of his presence. But I, I not only want us to think about the power of his presence, but, but I want to get really applicable to all of us today. And I want to challenge you to think about this. There is a power in personal anchors of God's word in your life. Personal anchors. Let me ask you, and I asked someone recently, uh, someone had passed away and uh, outside of our church and they called. And so I, I asked the question about the, the one who had passed away. I said, did they have a favorite verse? Did they have a verse that they leaned on? Was there something in their life? Well, no, you just, when you preach the funeral, just share what you want. I'm telling you. Do you have anchor verses in your life? Do you have anchor verses? Have you shared them? Do your, does your family know? But more than that, do you know when you face the heartaches of life and the hardships of life that there's a passage that you go to? I've shared with you before that uh, my favorite psalm is Psalm 73. The first Sunday that I preached here, I preached Psalm 73. It's the story of Asaph. Asaph looks out and says, God, it doesn't look like this is really fair in life. I look out around me and it looks like the wicked are prospering. And then, God, I look in my own life and it looks like I'm trying to do all the right things, but I feel like I'm plagued and I'm chastened. And God, this just doesn't make any sense to me. Why are they doing so well? Why am I trying hard and life is so hard? You could picture Joseph, you could picture Abraham, you could picture Moses, you could picture any Bible character in Hebrews 11 at some time at this moment, thinking, man, it looks like all of those people around me are doing a lot better, and I'm trying to live for God, and life is really hard. It says around verse number 17 that, that Asaph goes into the sanctuary of God. And there the light bulb goes on. And in verses 23 through 26, he shares these six anchors that have been anchors in my life. I was just thinking about that this week, probably uh, for 35 years. So that four years ago when I 
was told that I had kidney cancer and I get up into my room by myself, the very first thing I did was open my Bible to Psalm 73 and I read these six, uh, these, these four verses that share these six promises. He comes to the point, he says, God, man, I was so wrong in my perspective, but nevertheless, God's with me and you hold me by my right hand and you guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. God, you're with me. God, you hold my hand. God, you guide me with your counsel and, and God, you secure me afterward. You, you will receive me to glory. You're going to hold on to me until I get to heaven. And then in Psalm 30, uh, 73, verse 25, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none that I desire upon earth besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my life and my portion forever. God will strengthen me and God will provide for me. You've got to have some anchors in your life, whether you use Psalm 91 or whether you turn to one of the other Psalms like Psalm 37, or you lean on Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You need some personal anchors in your life that when life gets hard that you can open up and say, man, life's hard right now, but this is what I know. And this is what I stand on. And I can throw the anchors out. I'm going to make it through the storm because God is with me. There is the the power of the promises of God. When life is hard, hold on to the promises of God. But secondly, we see in Joseph's life that when life gets hard, we need to live as a servant of God. Now, this almost sounds counterintuitive. When life gets hard, shouldn't I just sit back and wait for everybody to minister to me? Shouldn't I wait for my phone to ring? Shouldn't I wait for the prayer grams to come in? Shouldn't I, I, I wait for, for my Sunday school club, my Bible study class and, and everybody just to come and meet all of my needs? Listen, that's not the example of Joseph at all. In Genesis chapter 39, as Joseph starts in the prison, how do you think the the guard allows him, or the keeper of the prison allows him to have such authority? Joseph learns the power of serving. In Genesis chapter 40, then, it tells us that a chief butler, or he would have been the cupbearer of the king and The baker are thrown into prison as well. And notice with me in Genesis chapter 40, and notice in verse number 4. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and then notice what it says. These three words, and he served them. He served them. Let me challenge you to do this. Serve where you are. You know what we find in life and in ministry? Many people are willing to serve where they aren't. If God would just, then I would. Many people would say, if, if, if God would just open this door for ministry, then I would serve. If God would just bless me with this blessing, then I would serve. If God would just clear this path, then I would serve. Many people are willing to serve where they're not, 
but Joseph is willing to serve where he is. And the challenge for all of us is, are you willing to serve where you are? I mean, are you willing to serve right here, right now, right where you are? You say, well, buddy, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm limited on what I can do. Can you pray? You have an email? Can you write? Can you afford a stamp? Can you make a phone call? There's something that you can do. There is something that you can do. Can you help with connect? Can you sing? Can you play an instrument? Can you work with, there is something you can do. The challenge is, is we're called to serve right where we are. And you know what the interesting part about this is? The interesting truth is, is that psychologists tell us that even when we face challenges in our life, that it is good for us to serve others. It does something within us. It does something within us when when life is hard and we just give or we serve or we go or we show care anyway. And, and, and psychologists tell us that it makes us feel better. This is the exact example of Jesus in Matthew 20, 28, where the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, let's think about the inconvenient places of service in someone's life. Serving when you're in this trial. Serving when you face this. Serving when life is hard under this circumstance. Well, let's look at Jesus' life just in one place. Let's think about the cross. If there was anywhere that we would only want to think about ourselves and our suffering, it would be as if we went to a cross. And yet, we find Jesus saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Serving. We see Jesus reaching out and telling the thief that's next to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. And I really wish that we had a longer conversation there that was recorded. But we just get a little snip, I think, and, and that thief comes to understand, and there Jesus is talking and ministering and assuring this one who is on the cross. But then we find Jesus speaking out to make sure that his mother is cared for when he is on the cross. Woman, behold thy son. What an example and what a picture. Joseph was willing to serve when life was hard, when he didn't have all the answers, when he didn't know how the story was going to turn out yet. And he did it willingly. He did it sacrificially. He did it, and it not only changed his life, but it changed, listen, it changed a nation's destiny. Serve where you are. You never know the impact of your service through any time in your life. So the butler and the baker have dreams. The butler, chief butler, has a dream of a vine and there are three branches that go off of it and they're full of grapes and, and the grapes are squeezed and pressed and he holds them in a cup. And Joseph hears that dream. And then there's the 
baker who has a dream of a basket and baked goods on his head and birds coming to eat it. Notice with me in Genesis chapter 40 and verse number 8. They said to him, we each had a dream and there is no interpreter in it. So Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell them to me, please. Not only do we serve where we are, but we shine where we are. Did you notice how he takes the emphasis off of him and says, do not interpretations belong to God? This is God's work, but I'm God's man and you can tell me. That's the picture. Shine where you are. Missouri Baptist University's theme is shine on. With my boys going there, and you see their little sticker says shine on on their uh, parking sticker. Shine on. That's the picture and the challenge for us. That we would let our light so shine before men that they may see our good intentions. That they may see our willingness to do something over here if God would just do this over here. No! Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Serve where you are. Shine where you are. Make sure that along the way, you do it for his glory and his honor. Joseph interprets both of the dreams. The butler has the dream of the Branches coming off of the vine and, and the, uh, the grapes being pressed. And Joseph tells him in three days, you're going to be restored back and you're going to be again right back in the place next to Pharaoh again. And then he interprets the dream of the baker and he tells the baker in three days, you're going to be hanged. But Joseph has one plea. Notice with me in chapter 40 and Verse number 14, as he tells the dream to the the chief butler, he says this, but remember me when it is well with you, and please show your kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house, for indeed I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews, and also I've done nothing here that they should put me in the dungeon. Remember me. His only, his only request, hey, when you get back, remember me. I want to challenge you. When life gets hard, we remember the promises of God and we live as a servant of God. But thirdly, when we find that life gets hard, we have to trust the timing of God. Because notice with me the very last verse of Genesis 30, of Genesis 40. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Five months has seemed like a long time as we step into Genesis 41 next week. We're going to find it's a full two years before the butler remembers Joseph. Two years. 
waiting, waiting, waiting. Psalm 27, 14, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he'll strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Oh, so easy to quote a verse. Waiting two years. Isaiah 40, 31. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Waiting. Have you ever had to wait on God? Have you ever had to wait a long time? Waiting is working. For waiting, waiting for Joseph didn't mean, I don't think, that he would just sit back in his prison cell and sulk, but he'd continue doing the things of service where he was. But deep in his heart, maybe he woke up day one, month one, month six, month 12, thinking maybe today's the day. Month 18, month 20, he's beginning to think, will I ever get out of here? Trust in God's timing. What we find on God's timing is he is very seldom early, but he is never, ever late. His timing is the exact working of his providence in ways that we don't see. So as we look at Joseph's life story and we think about those opening words of uh, opening times of affection at home, but then we deal with those hard words. Rejection wouldn't be the final word on his life. Accusation wouldn't be the final word on his life. And listen, forgotten will not be the final word on his life either. I don't know where you are today, but forgotten, forgotten feels painful and lonely and heartbreaking. But there is one, Isaiah 49 says, who never forgets because he has his names, our names written in the palms of his hands. Today, I want to tell you, rejection, accusation, and forgotten do not have to be the defining words of your life. God in his providence may have you on the anvil. And the more intricate and the deeper and the greater he wants to use you, the longer he often puts us on it or brings us back to it. That's how he takes and uses his vessels. I don't know where you are in your relationship with God today, but I can tell you this absolute conf- with absolute confidence. You are not forgotten. Matter of fact, God loved you so much, he sent his son Jesus, who lived a perfect life and died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. And Jesus rose again from the dead. He offers you the free gift of forgiveness and eternal life. But even 
more than just having the slate cleaned. He says, I'm going to record your name in heaven. You're secure forever. And I will dwell in you. Never, ever forgotten. If you don't know Jesus today, or maybe you're just on the anvil today and life's hard and it's heated up and you're getting shaped and molded and formed and beat on and you feel like this is, I just can't be in God's will right now. Maybe that's exactly where God has you because he wants to use you in a great way. With that, let's take a moment and pray. God, we don't understand uh, all that goes on around us and we for sure don't understand your providential hand and work and timing. Sometimes we're so short-sighted, filled with fear, frustrated. We have the tendency to get bitter. But Lord, would you do something fresh in us as a church family? And would you do something fresh in us as individuals? Would you remind us of your awesome promises? Would you call us to be a blessing and serve others? And Lord... I pray that each person today here, each person watching, would know and recognize they're not forgotten. God, thank you. Thank you for your grace, your forgiveness, your mercy in your hand. Thank you that you cause all things to work together for good to those who love you. In Jesus' name, amen.